Welcome back to the Melius Performance Podcast. Today I'm joined by Liv Giles, elite Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu female black belt, physiotherapist and member of the Combat Sports Commission in Victoria. In this episode, we talk about all things related to performance uh, for Liv, including her role on the Combat Sports Commission, a Jiu-Jitsu athlete, running a gym, creating content, traveling the world, and... Um, life in lockdown in victoria now we've had some technical issues with this episode we've tried to uh, eliminate as many as possible you will hear a few little bursts of laughter that we put in to kind of join in the the clips so uh, apologies for that but we did have a lot of technical issues due to internet connectivity uh, you can subscribe to the Melius performance podcast on itunes spotify google or amazon or anywhere you get your podcast regularly or you can go over to meliasconsulting.com.au and listen there or and find out more information uh, about us um, and read our blogs audio abstracts and much much more okay into the episode Now, this uh, guest today I wanted to have on before, but unfortunately, I couldn't pronounce her name. <laughs> and now that she's been married and has a normal name, I shouldn't say normal name, I get in trouble, but has a name that I can pronounce, I had her on the podcast. <laughs> Correct. Because now, Livia Giles, formerly known as Livia Jukakowski. Something like that. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> has, has agreed to join us from the security of the very popular COVID-19 uh, government-approved lockdown in the state of Victoria in the city of Melbourne. And if anybody's listening from that government, we do not pass any judgment on you, even though we think you're a da 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 We pass judgment. We do not pass judgment on the government of Victoria. We will do what we are told. We will sit in silence and we will follow their rules. Thank you. End of message. <laughs> so, 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 Olivia, let's actually start there because you are in Melbourne at the moment. It is October 12, 2020, the year of someone's Lord. Um, what's it like in lockdown? Um, it, it's pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, uh, we've had our business shut since for seven months now. So it's been uh, pretty hard, <laughs> not only obviously financially for everyone, but mentally it's it's pretty hard. So we're still not allowed to go more than 5Ks out of home. We've got a 5K radius. Um, we no longer have a curfew. I think we had to stay home between 9 or 8 p.m. and 5 a.m., but there's nowhere to go anyway because shops like supermarkets closed at 8. Um, yeah. So it, it's pretty somber. It's, um, you know, everyone's kind of starting to lose it a little bit. Um, and I think... Probably the rest of Australia doesn't even realize we're still in lockdown. Like we, so many businesses are going, um, getting, you know, I guess, out of business and they're shut. And I'm just, I just hope Melbourne will recover from this because it is, yeah, we've got between five and 15 cases a day at the moment and it's pretty controlled. But um, yeah, I don't know. Gyms are meant to open when we have um, no cases for 28 days. So whether that's even possible or not, I, I don't actually know. Wow. Yeah, that is a tall order. And I suppose we could go down the COVID rabbit hole today, but we won't yeah. because uh, there's enough people on Google with PhDs from Google who can comment on that. <laughs> so I'll leave that to them. Uh, so if, if anybody doesn't know Liv, uh, Liv is, I suppose, 
a number of different things, Liv. I'll just summarize you very quickly. I hope I get this right. One, you're an elite jujitsu practitioner, athlete, whatever that, common, that word is. You are a physiotherapist. You're on the Combat Sports Commission for Victoria. And you're also a gym owner mm-hmm. with, with, with Lachlan as well. And it would absolutely, and you coach people yeah. as well. So you're very busy across all of those domains. And hence why I started off with the COVID thing, because this would affect you mentally as an athlete, as a coach, as a business owner, and as a physiotherapist, it must be very difficult for you at the moment to, um, to, to balance, well, not to balance, but the lack of all of these <laughs> things being so busy and then just to go like yeah. power down for a while. So yeah, how, how's, how, do you, how are you feeling about that? Because you, you're very active and then to go so low, really. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, like it's literally changed our lives and, and uh, throwing them upside down. So we had a really big year planned of travel and camps and kind of like, uh, you know, still going on the, on the lucky bandwagon and uh, really trying to make a name of ourselves. We had a lot of trips overseas and all over Australia booked that we had to cancel. Um, I mean, so that, that's pretty rough and I guess everyone's in the same or similar boat anyway. Obviously, as a competitor, it's pretty hard. I'm 36, so I probably don't have too many good years left of competing at the very high level just because it's getting harder to um, do the amount of training required to be, like, at that yeah, at that yeah. sort of uh, level. Mind you, I'm still improving, so who knows? So that it's been a massive shift for me, not all negative. I think I definitely was overtraining and doing too much before and not recovering and trying to play too many roles, and it's kind of nice to see that when I don't do that, the world doesn't explode and I don't combust and, you know, everything is okay. So I really had to chill out because I had no choice and uh, get busy doing other projects. So we're filming a lot of content for jujitsu. We're, uh, you know, we've renovated a gym. We just need people in it. So there's some positives, but it's definitely, um, I guess my whole identity has been kind of turned upside down from playing so many different roles to, uh, sitting at home and editing or filming like just in the one spot. So yeah, yeah it's, it's different. Yeah. So if anybody doesn't know, which I presume some people won't know, uh, Livia is married to Lachlan Giles. Lachlan was on the podcast previously and Lachlan um, was doing his PhD around the same time as me in physiotherapy. And we um, probably, probably met Lachlan back in 2014 or 15 at the IS doing some work. And so Lachlan is um, an elite jujitsu guy himself. Um, he, kind of got really popular last year that's why Livia was said about the Lachlan bandwagon because if he he submitted some very uh, beastly guys who probably you know are very good at balancing protein and other supplements um so he he hooked um, those people to victory so he kind of rose to fame there um probably the first time I saw Lachlan uh you know actually ex- celebrate like like uh, I was like oh wow there you go. But um, so so these guys, you guys as a as a unit, you know, and I want to talk about you today, not, but I want to just make that link. But you guys as a unit are very strong around jujitsu coaching, jujitsu practice, promotion of jujitsu, and so on. So um, but yeah, you you in your own right, Livia are uh, are an excellent grappler. And um, if anybody says that um you won't get beaten by a girl, well, Livia's beaten me many times. So there you go. You know. <laughs> it's all lies, but yeah. <laughs> it is all lies. Um, yeah, no, we work well together. It's it's really like probably last year was the first or start of this year was the first time we could actually um, 
have the luxury of doing seminars and comps together usually like there's no need for both of us to go and it gets really hard and really lonely I guess to do a big um, road trip or be you know in Europe or in the States for two weeks doing a seminar every single day so it's been actually really fun doing it together and and having like if there's 100 people at a seminar you do need two people at least helping out and trying to get around to everyone. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I'm glad to be of use. <laughs> um, and it took me a while to adjust to like, oh, I'm not doing my own thing, you know, like I don't want to ever be like this girl who just like travels with the husband or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's been it's been really nice and, and really good actually working as a team. No, it's good, yeah. And you guys are, are very positive about Jiu-Jitsu and a lot of content you put out and lots of the... Uh, stuff you do you've got you've got good um good energy about it you know people people often in the jiu-jitsu community want to flex their muscles and be tough guys and show off tattoos and which which is fine but you guys are very you're the opposite you're more like uh yeah. you're more like probably what i'm like the nerdy geek around around jiu-jitsu so you guys yeah. uh, are very different than the stereotype of a martial artist that people would think well if that's probably a good segue into uh brazilian jiu-jitsu so people may or may not be familiar with brazilian jiu-jitsu or may think it's a a certain type of combat sports could you talk about maybe how brazilian jiu-jitsu is similar to other combat sports but also how it's different to other combat sports as well because combat sports is a general term for lots of different sports Mm -hmm. um so i think an easy way to explain brazilian jiu-jitsu is like if you think of like mixed martial arts or the ufc um the the cage fighting it's kind of the ground or the the wrestling and the ground component of it but without any strike so there's no hitting no punching no elbows it's re- literally just grappling or the other way i like to explain it is wrestling but with submission so you're aiming to yeah. um i guess make, put someone in a position where you can tap them out by or make them give up um, and that might be a choke or it might be um, an arm or a, a knee sort of hyperextension, uh, something that they have to tap out or they will get injured. Um, I guess the way it's different from, from other sports or from other combat sports is that we can do live sparring pretty much every day um, and you can go close to 100%. Uh, that's not always advisable, but you can, whereas say with boxing or MMA or any striking sport, you hardly ever go, you know, 100% sparring with your training partners. There's a lot of brain damage and other things. You obviously don't want to injure your opponents. Whereas um, with jiu-jitsu, because there's lower, although injury rate is still high, there's lower uh, permanent damage type injuries. Um, So we can live spar pretty hard. and, And because of that, you know it's effective and it works. Uh, and the other thing is that it's a sport that addresses the ground component. So often, you know, like if you see a street fight or self-defense, uh, guys get to the ground and then you kind of don't know what to do from there. So we learn how to get the fight to the ground and then the fight really starts on the ground. So self-defense, you know, uh, I mean, I guess being able to um, reverse a bad situation so you can run away or hold someone down or or get yourself in a position where they can't hurt you and you can just kind of uh, eliminate them from moving and, and um, choke them out or whatever it is you want to do. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I think a lot of it just gives me, you, you just kind of know your limits when we're talking about self-defense and, and know that against an untrained man, I feel fairly confident unless they have a knife or a gun or something. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think um yeah, jiu-jitsu is really interesting like that. My wife started jiu-jitsu I think three and a half years ago, roughly, or three years ago. 
and you know um she's not massive like she's not like she's you know she's tiny <laughs> she, yeah but she's pretty fiery right she's tough. Um, she's just yeah, she's, yeah she, she's pretty tough yeah and i've had some time off with some surgery um recently and some other issues with my neck so it's kind of you know it's bad because now she's getting really good and i'm shit now when i go back that she'll end up beating me so um yeah <laughs> side note, side note i know she's listened to this podcast so, so it's good i can talk about her amongst friends but it is a great sport i think for for females or women like you say or even smaller people who are not massive or you know into like bodybuilding or want to go striking it's a great um it's a great sport for for self-defense and it's a great sport like you said to go fairly hard without getting injured now in saying that there is obviously injuries in it but it is better than getting punched in the face or kicked in the head um for which sure is, which is which is all well and good when you're a bit younger but as you alluded to as you get older it gets harder to get hit in the head so, so yeah, yeah I, I don't think it's great at any age to be honest but but you certainly get back a little bit quicker <laughs> you yeah. do recover a bit better when you're younger yeah 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 so a couple of years ago at the, at, when i turned 40 i was in the cage doing mma training with the guys and i was like yeah maybe this isn't that good at 40 and like the, the next youngest was like 28 and i was like nah and then one of the guys goes are you going to have a fight i was like no i'm not training <laughs> for a fight no way no way yeah. in actual fact i think i'm done after this session yeah um, so livia how did you get into jiu-jitsu because it's not the most you know people would say that's like you know not the most common thing for people to go into jiu-jitsu it looks pretty rough like you said people think maybe it's got striking but it doesn't but it still might look fairly physical and tough what attracted you to jiu-jitsu initially i don't actually know i think i've been an athlete for a very long time so i was uh, a gymnast for about 12 years and then after that i did sprint cycling um so i was you know went from like a little I don't know, wafty rhythmic gymnast to, to trying to squat really heavy and, and sprint on the velodrome. And um, then I started my university degree and I thought, you know, I need to get a real life and stop being an elite athlete and actually have a job and, and, and be an adult. And probably at around the same time I met Lockie. So we were both working at a football club as physios or I was uh, a physio student uh, at the time and he was doing jujitsu and he kind of tried to show me some like videos and I was like, Oh, I don't, I don't know what this is. <laughs> it looks weird. Um, and I think I was, so I stopped cycling and I was going, um, to a local like Muay Thai club with my brother. Cause he was doing that at the time, um, just to keep fit. And it was a little bit boring. I was kind of like shadow boxing for ages without any instruction and I didn't know what was going on. And, uh, I saw the jiu-jitsu guys on the other side of the mat having a session and then I was like talking to Lockie a lot and um, I just decided to try it and it was, I don't know, I just had this other girl at the gym who wanted to try it and we just giggled the entire class probably out of nervousness and um, probably did that for two weeks and then I went to Brazil with my little sister for six weeks and I got really sick of drinking. So I was like, I'm going to go like to Checkmate and do jiu-jitsu. And I remember emailing Lockie and he was like, oh, please don't. Just just wait till you come home. <laughs> like just because it's like one of the, it was one of the best teams in the world. Yeah. Um, they all trained fairly hard. And I was like this, you know, two-week old white belt. Um, but I went and uh, I mean, the guys were really nice to me because 
I don't know, I, was, I guess because I was a girl and I got like a free private every day from a black, for, from a different black belt every day. And, um, you know, obviously it's not something that happens, especially not to white belt guys that start. You don't just go and get a private, but I was a little bit naive. And um, because they were really nice to me, I was like, this is the best sport ever. And I just, um, I love the learning of it. It's a very cerebral sport. You never really, like it's been 10 years for me now and you don't stop learning ever. So it's really fun and you get a really good workout. Um, and then I jumped into my first competition. So I promised myself I wouldn't compete after my cycling career because I get like into an obsessed psycho. Um, and three months later, I did my first competition and then I just never stopped. <laughs> so yeah, probably one of the best decisions of my so life, actually. <laughs> so you broke that promise to yourself pretty quick. Um, what, what, what attracts you more to jiu-jitsu, do you think? Is it more the this cerebral part, like you said, like kind of like that instant problem solving that has this instant feedback loop or is it more the physicality? Mm, I think it's both. I, I mean, personally, I actually really love the, the like I love rolling hard and I love the uh, physical aspect of it. I love the scrambles. I love the wrestling. Um, and not all girls are attracted to that. A lot of girls like just want to make pretty patterns and, and you can do jiu-jitsu that way. But I think the really cool thing with with the sport is that you can take it whatever way you want it to be. So if you want to be flowy and beautiful, you can. If you want to, you know, clamp onto someone and, and have a style where you don't have to move too much, you can. And if you want to be crazy and just uh, yeah, like yeah. do the scrambles and wrestling, you can. So I would say I'm actually a combination of those three. Um, and I, um, I, I like absolutely love the problem solving and knowing that I'm never done. But I'm not going to lie, like when it comes to comp time, I do actually just love a good workout and sweating and, and like going hard at something and um, and seeing like the scrambles in slow motion in my head and stuff. So it, it's a really a combination of everything for me. Yeah, yeah. So you said um, a few moments ago that you were in gymnastics before that. Um, does gymnastics help you in jiu-jitsu? Has it helped you? Yeah, I think to an extent for sure. I mean, I still have fairly good flexibility and I think uh, especially flexibility around your hips and your hamstrings is um, extremely important for, especially when you're the bottom player, when you play a lot of guard. Um, I do think I've got better than average motor control. I wouldn't say I'm like, I'm definitely not one of those freaks that sees a move and picks it up. Um, I have to work pretty hard at getting something to stick in my head but I wouldn't say I'm also on the low end of that. So I'm somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I think yeah. what gymnastics has given me is pretty good body awareness. So I know where something doesn't feel right, uh, even though I might not know how to fix it. Uh, probably the biggest thing is like the discipline and being able to train hard. You know, I, I, as you can probably imagine, like training in the 80s and the 90s and through uh, the 2000s or early 2000s in Eastern Europe and in Australia was uh, pretty strict and pretty full on. And then um, on top of that, like cycling was another level on top of that. Like, uh, I mean, very different sports, obviously, uh, and different requirements on the aerobic and anaerobic system. But those two sports have given me this ability to focus and, and like just train really, really hard. And I think that's because in most places, jiu-jitsu is not yet a fully professional sport. We don't have an Olympic team. We don't really even have a world team. You know, ADCC is as close as it gets to qualifying for, for like a world championship. So yeah. um, 
it, it, there's not still not, not a lot of sports science in a lot of countries around the world around jiu-jitsu. And I think you see a really big mix of like elite athletes and your recreational hobbyists training all together. So, um, the, yeah, there's just not like people train a little bit differently than, than in other sports. And I think what I brought from this gymnastics and cycling where I was doing that at a fairly high level uh, with, you know, sports scientists and coaches and dietitians mm-hmm. and the whole team working with you and S&C coaches, and that's helped me with jiu-jitsu. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't say, you know, oh, just because you're a gymnast you can execute all these movements. You still have to learn them. You still have to repeat them. You still have to go through the same process. But, but I wouldn't say I was starting from, from scratch either. Yeah, it's interesting you, you talk about, um, I suppose, the lack of scientific approach in jiu-jitsu and probably even in MMA more broadly as well. Yeah. It's still a new sport. And um, it's not like an Olympic sport where there's money, you know, kind of pumped in for research or development. Yeah. And because it is jumping to that professional bracket in different competitions, like competitions you've competed in, like the EBI, which is on UFC Fight Pass and other ones as well, where there is money involved now, no one really cares about kind of, the science about it's kind of like every man and woman for themselves in the comp and it's up to you really to recruit your own scientific expertise if you wish or you may not and there's plenty of people who don't but you're right in terms of a gym you can go into a gym and you can be anywhere from a white belt day one to a seasoned black belt you could then on top of that have people who are um looking to have a fight in mma anywhere to people who fought in the ufc yeah, you can have absolutely. people then like, you know, at your gym, for example, Absolute's a classic one. I can go in when I go to Melbourne for work. I've often gone to your lunchtime classes and I'm like on the mat with a brand new white belt. And at the other end of the spectrum, there's people like Lockie and Craig Jones. Mm-hmm. And you're like, like, where else would you get this? You've got that yeah. kind of multivariate level of skills, expertise, age and different requirements as well. People like Craig and Lockton yourself are training for something, yeah. you know, in, in terms of being, I would say, elite in, in that respect and then you got people mm-hmm. like me who's a hobbyist just looking for a bit of fun and yeah. to, you know have a bit of a laugh and and you know just roll around and get better within my own self but you know obviously like me being a a level in jiu-jitsu wouldn't be comparable to you know if i was a brown belt and you're a brown belt i'm not comparable to you in a brown belt because you're at that different bracket so there's all that mm-hmm. kind of different levels inside it so it is yeah it is kind of difficult i think to train in jiu-jitsu probably more so for you guys with that whole kind of mix and match, a mash of people on the mats. Yeah, it, it's tough in saying that we we do have like we've started pro classes a couple of years or a few years ago now um, that are more aimed at like I think we've got a blue and above, but it, it is aimed at competitors and you have to come prepared. So uh, we do encourage self learning, we do encourage self development. Often the class format where you're teaching to sixty people is not the best learning environment for everybody because everyone's got different requirements. Everyone's got different body types. Like you said, you might not be able to, you know, invert or flex your neck because of your injuries, whereas the younger competitor, that's what really they need to be good at in order to complete their goals. So it is, it is really difficult to teach, um, you know, to a large group and it's not always the best, but you also have to expect that people that, you know, like you're working all day, you've got a family, you come to training, you don't want to think about what you're working on. You just want your coach to show you what to do and then you work on it. So we're very well aware of that. So that's why for competitors, we've got a slightly different class format where you 
we, we usually encourage people to have four positions they're working on in a month that will help them to achieve the goals in a year or two years, whatever it is. And it changes every month. Um, and the, you know, we, we drill and specific trains your own positions. And then when we roll, we do roll a little bit harder at a higher intensity than I would in a normal night class with, with someone who's just doing it for a little bit of fun or they might be competing, but not at a really high level. Um, and I wouldn't roll with people like at my competition pace because the chances of injuries are higher. It's a bit overwhelming. Um, and I can, you know, I, I use those and, and there's a great benefit in training lighter like that as well, because you can really train different things. You can be flowy and you can train new moves and so on. So, um, but yeah, it, it is really hard to try to cater to so many different people to give everyone like fair and equal attention as well. Um, and to make everyone happy, I guess. But I think yeah. it's a sport where you really have to be self, self-learning self and self-accountable for your own learning. I think it's really important. Yeah, and I think the other side of that coin as well from a, from a participant perspective is that you as a participant need to be very clear about what you want to get over. Like I found that when I roll with bigger black belts or other belts, I'm like, I'm not interested in competition. Don't rip my neck off. I have a job. <laughs> I'm training some swimming as well. I'm doing yoga. I want to be able to walk tomorrow. And I'm just, I'm not, at, I'm not in that space in my life. I just want to come and have fun. Mm-hmm. And, and vice versa, when the coach is banging on about competitions, I'm like, yeah, you like save your, breath, save your breath with me because I'm just, I couldn't be bothered with it, right? I just, yeah. I've got different interests. I've, I've got more, I like to more compete in endurance sports than I would in combat sports. Although I love combat sports, I'd rather, I, I just know it, just where I'm in my life that it's not for me. And I think it's, I think participants need to be vocal about that as well, because I've seen some people come to the gym and they don't see them. They got, you know, been there for six months to wipe out and then go, Why? oh, I was always getting the shit kicked on me. I felt bad. Like, why didn't you just say that? You didn't want to go yeah. hard because you did do that kind of thing. If you go really hard, people come back hard at you. So right. it's like anything in the universe, like it's instant, instant karma. Jiu-jitsu. You put it out there, people come back. Mm-hmm. So if you don't want people to go hard, just tell them at the start, and then it won't go so hard, to. so you don't have to feel like you're being overwhelmed, like you said. So it's difficult as well for yeah. the coaches and the participants to get that fine balance. We do we do remind people every single day. I mean, like, going hard is a funny one. I think a lot of beginners, uh, especially beginners, will see the higher, you know, black belts rolling, and it looks really hard and really fast. And it's actually, it's not, but it's not, every movement still has a purpose. So it looks fast because they've done it so many times that it's actually just faster, but it's not like just flailing around and because that's when you get injured and that's when it's yeah. really dangerous. So I think white belts see that and they try to replicate it, but they don't actually know what they're doing. So they'll just take legs and throw them and then jump on someone's ribs. Whereas in reality, the, the seasoned competitors don't actually do that. Every single step in a grip has a purpose. They're just doing it with more efficiency because they know how to do because we've done it for so many years. So we do try to, it's, it's a learned skill and, and beginners actually have to really learn it. Um, and going back to like me as the person rolling, um, I'm probably, you know, even though I'm a high-level competitor, I still have to um, really protect myself. I'm a smaller female and I think a lot of the times people look at a black belt and like, oh, she's one world, I've been to ADCC or something. And I think that they have to go really hard to beat yeah. me. And it's, yeah. it's not true. Like if you find a good, a, a really good blue belt guy who is 60 kilos, they will beat me, you know, blue, purple, like world-class uh, men. If they want to go at full pace, of course they will beat me. I don't have the 
the power and the explosiveness and the speed and, uh, you know, I'm not saying my technique is worse, but it doesn't mean I can beat them. And I'm not looking to beat them. I'm looking to have a role. So um, unfortunately, like uh, the older I get, the less and less I roll with um, guys because we do have such a large female team and I just don't get hurt as much. And, yeah, and yeah. it's more relevant to what I have to do as well. So I've been a bit more vocal um, in teaching people how to roll with me and just going like, hey, you're going too hard. Like, I, I you know, what are we doing? Um, or just refuse roles and I don't feel bad anymore. I used to. Yeah, I, I I totally agree with you, and I I echo that to a lot of people as well. Because a few years ago, when I started having some neck issues, I like my GP said just like don't grapple with guys that are really big. And if you look at wrestling, for example, when I spoke to wrestlers that I know from America and Canada, they're like jujitsu is ridiculous. We generally don't ro- grapple with somebody you know at yeah. the most twenty pounds, like eight or nine kilos. So if you're seventy mm-hmm. kilos, you wouldn't go with somebody even eighty. You yeah. train within that weight class. You don't even do technique together. And I was like, what? Yeah. Whereas in jujitsu, you can be rolling. You can be you know, 78 kilos and you can be rolling my guy that's 120. Yeah. And and you're dead right as well. I find some of the most dangerous guys, like for me, being a older, not very big uh, brown belt, I'm having gray hair. People go, oh, easy target. You know, and I've and I've seen them. I've seen them coming over to me. And even, you know, yep. some of the other guys have gone, this guy's coming for you because he thinks like you've got to. And I'm just like, what I, what I do now is I just go, I get in position and I let them like, you know, go to mount and get an armbar, and I go right. Are you happy now? You got your tap. You got your scalp. Good at right in your book. Right in your book. Relax now, because I know how you felt. I was the same. I was. A, oh, we, oh, all were, yeah. bro, we all were. We all were. I got a bro. I remember the first time I tapped the black belt. I I nearly vomited. <laughs> I was a blue belt. And I thought I was going to pass out. I was like, what the, f-? you know? And 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 it's, you know, like but everybody gets caught, and then as you get more experience, gets but you just go, ah. But that's the thing, you know, I think um, perhaps, I mean, I, I know I was exactly the same, trying to like be a purple belt, trying to beat all these black belt girls. And and people don't realize that, you know, I'm not like if I'm rolling with uh, a lower belt and not always, sometimes I'm trying really hard and I get tapped. I'm not going to say it doesn't happen. Of course it does. But most of the time I'll be trying something new or I'll be testing them out or I'll be letting like see how uh, deep I can let them yeah, get into yeah. position and kind of go, okay, that's too deep. Yep, you've got my arm or you're on my back or something. You know, I'm not always rolling to beat them because then no one gets anything out of that roll. It's like if you went 100% on me, I would just lie under mound and you would just sub me and it would just be not enjoyable for anyone. You're not learning, I'm not learning, you know. Uh, Whereas if you offload a little bit, we're we're playing. We're having like a conversation, not an argument, right? Um, So there's time and place for everything, but... Um, yeah, I just, I mean, I know this when we're doing our seminar tours, it's, it's kind of like this, you know, Lockie can handle pretty much everyone in the room and I can't. So a lot of the times, most like 99% of people are great. And they will, if we're teaching leg logs, they will go in the position and play with me and have fun. And there'll be the small amount that just like grab my legs and squeeze them or girls like blue belt girls that will just absolutely try to like knee me in the face and, um, And it's really hard not to get triggered and it's really hard not to then go, okay, that's how you want to play, you know, like that's, I can turn it on, but I don't want to because I'm going to be mean <laughs> to the well, girls. Yeah, this yeah. is this is interesting because we, we speak about, you know, uh, combat sport, jiu-jitsu and people, like I said, will have different understandings or interpretations of what jiu-jitsu is. And we're talking about how we navigate our journeys you know, at, at sort of the higher end belts in, in jiu-jitsu and having different needs as male and female and different ages and different injuries. But you came from a sport, gymnastics, mm-hmm. where you said 
you did it in the old Eastern Bloc, um, which was the former USSR, for those people who may or may not remember that. Um, we were all waiting for nuclear war at the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so you grew up in, in that, and gymnastics is notorious for having this crazy, like, stern culture and, you know, train and don't eat and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, people are 22 and look for like because they're tiny because they have to stunt their growth. Um, do, do you see any similarities between jiu-jitsu and gymnastics or is it completely different or is there any? Yeah, I think it's pretty different. Really different, is it? It's pretty different. I mean, look, it probably depends what your coach and what your team environment is like. Um, I think what I really struggled with at the start is um, like not having a coach tell you exactly what to do every step, every move and so on. Um, and the other thing is in gymnastics, you're really looking for like, this is something I'm just learning now how to not do that. But you have every single step has to be absolutely perfect, whereas you can't have perfect in, in jiu-jitsu or really in any combat mm-hmm. sports. You know, a lot of it is steps and it's like you might have a six-step process, but there's a lot of feel involved. And if it works for you, it works. I mean, there's obviously some things that are fundamentally wrong and they will never work. But a lot of the times, you know, just because your like hand was two centimeters out, like you just have to actually really feel it and you have to play an experiment. Whereas I think with gymnastics, it forced me to be very like regimented, like this is what I'm doing. This is every step and, and it has to be a specific way. Um, and I think, you know, like freestyle wrestling, it's freestyle, like Talgood, my, my old coach, wrestling coach used to, cause I used to very like stress about not doing things perfectly. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, it's freestyle, like for a reason, like just, of course there's wrong things, but you have to just, just find your own way with it. Um, and obviously the coaching methods are very different, um, in jujitsu and in gymnastics, you're dealing with kids. Like we're, we're all kids. We're very uh, well-trained into obedience and that's very different than working with adults or or even kids in martial arts. I think the philosophy is very different. Um, probably the other thing is also like the weight cutting. Um, it, it is very different in gymnastics why you do it and how you do it to what I found anyway in combat sports. I'm sure not, that's not for everyone. I know there's quite a lot of um, eating disorders in, in wrestling and MMA or unhealthy ways of cutting weight as well. Uh, but certainly for me, I found a way to do it that's, um, I wouldn't say healthy, <laughs> maybe. I don't think that's a healthy thing to do, to cut a lot of weight, but um, that certainly that doesn't impact my mentality or my overall health too much. Yeah. yeah so, 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 yeah, they are very different. <laughs> so when you did gymnastics, that was in, was in Poland originally, was it? Yeah, so I started in Poland and then I... Finished up, so we moved to Australia in '96. Uh, I was about 12, um, and then I finished up when I was about 18 or 19 in Australia. Um, so you when so you came to Australia in '96, and then you kept going under the Australian system of gymnastics. And was there a difference between Australian gymnastics and the gymnastics in Poland? Or yes and no. Yeah, so I mean, um, gymnastics in Poland was way, way, way more popular. You know, you'll go to like uh, Polish championships and you would have at least 100 competitors at that elite level. In Australia, there would be like eight or 10 of us at that elite level. Um, it's a pretty expensive sport to do as well. It requires like 30 hours of training a week. Really? Uh, we also, yeah, at least like wow. 32 was like the standard. Um, so we trained before and after school. 
Um, it is expensive to travel anywhere from Australia, you know, the leotards and the apparatus and everything that you require. Um, and what was I going to say? Uh, something good. <laughs> forgot. It's okay. <laughs> I forget um, heaps things. <laughs> um, oh yeah, no, the coaches. So the coaches, um, we had a Ukrainian coach as well. So majority of coaches are actually either Russian or Ukrainian as well, even in Australia. Um, not all of them, even the Australian coaches, the culture is still the same. So it's not specifically an Eastern European thing. I think it's just all over the world. Someone once decided that Coaches have to behave in a certain way and have to train young girls mm. in a you know in a certain way, and it just stuck, and it became this culture of fear and obedience in Australia. So, um, yeah, I, I hope that doesn't really happen with jiu-jitsu, but it's it's still quite prevalent in in gymnastics. Yeah, I remember one time um, I saw a group of gymnasts um, getting some food. I'm not going to say where it was, and the coach was going. And these girls were probably, I want to say, it was hard to tell, probably between the ages of 12 and 16. Mm. And the coach was, like, giving out to them for putting food on their plate. Oh, yeah. And yeah. they were putting, like, hardly any food on. It was, like, something I'd have for morning tea. And the coach was, like, telling them to put things back. I was, mm. like, Jesus Christ. And these girls were, like, so small. And just from what I observed in that interaction, I was, like, wow, that's very top-down domineering. I would not like to be a gymnast. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to, able to listen to that, you know. I got, yeah. I'd have no tolerance. <laughs> it's horrible. I mean, like, I, I guess the requirements of the sports are that you are um, power-to-weight ratio and it is aesthetics as well. So, you know, in saying that, there's no fat or overweight elite gymnastics. Mm. With the amount of training you do, it's pretty much impossible. Um, and it would be nice to allow, like, young girls and women, or especially, like, it would be nice to have women in the sport because these girls are just girls. You know, you're retired 18 and you're old. So it would be actually nice to allow, like, bodies to develop normally and to go through puberty and actually be strong and have uh, bone density required to do the skills. I do know, like, you, you can't be, I guess, overweight, just like in any other sport, the chance of injury and the impact is just a little bit too high. So you do want to offload your joints. Uh, however, you know, who decided that looking anorexic is is nice? I certainly don't want to look at that. I just want to look at um, a, a nice sport and someone who can execute the skill. But, um, you know, I mean, even you know, I have some horrible stories from Poland, like when we we're little, but it happened in Australia, like at the Australian Institute of Sport, uh, we had judges and the coaches pretty much at the dining table 24-7. Someone was keeping a vigil to make sure that we weren't sneaking in in between a mealtime to grab some. So we actually had, this must have been around like 98 or something. We were friends with the swimmers like um, Daniel Kowalski and Michael Klim and like that generation. And they used to sneak us in food. Uh, like we used to do our order and they used to sneak us in some fruit to someone's to a designated room. And it had to be because we also had the judges and the coaches doing inspections of our rooms at the AIS to see if we had any food. So we had to like time it so they would bring it in and would eat it and then dispose of all the evidence before the coaches came in. And the same like those to stay on the um, hallways um, for, you know, till midnight to make sure we're not going to vending machines or any stealing food from somewhere my advice from the AIS coaches was always like to do more cardio on top of my six hours of training to reduce body weight so it's um 
and probably not one. So I think I had one, we had one dietitian come and speak to us in the 12 years in Victoria. So instead of someone just saying, hey, like, what's your nutrition like? Let's do it the right way. It was all um, kind of crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. And we 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 talk about you know weight cutting issues in in combat sports, but um that weight reduction and the issues around that in gymnastics sounds um crazy, particularly for the the age that the athletes are uh, being so young. And like you said about the body development, bone density, it's probably yeah. even more difficult in women with you know um you know um you know menstruation cycles, bodies yeah. developing, um, not to mention like all the mental stuff, like how the relationship you would have with food going forward and how terrified you would be to be, you know, eating a bar of chocolate or to be guilt-free and thinking the body dysmorphia, like there's a whole host of things that may happen there, which is, um, which is terrifying. Um, look, I'm, I'm 36 and I wouldn't say I'm completely normal in terms of body dysmorphia. Like, of course I'm, I've overcome everything, but sometimes I do kind of go, even now because of COVID, I'm a little bit bigger than I usually am. And sometimes I'm like, Am I, I had a, like just a doctor checkup and they're like, how's your BMI? And I was like, oh, it's fine. And they're like, are you overweight? I'm like, oh, I think I am. Like, you know, but it's like, it's a mental thing because I'm not in my light featherweight division right now. I'm like, I I don't know. Am I, am I overweight for a normal person? And I'm not, but the whole time you come kind of, you keep thinking about it and it's, uh, it's not healthy for the rest of your life. You know, I've had girlfriends, um, that end up in a psychiatric hospitals that were bulimic and anorexic. And it does have impact for the rest of your life. Whereas, um, and I was terrified to actually cut weight in jujitsu when I first decided to cut weight to just down a division, because I didn't know if I was going to revert back to being a little bit crazy, Uh, but I didn't and it was fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's it, it's. I'm kind of thinking here what you're saying. We did a study last year looking at masters swimmers who were doing long distance ocean swimming. So there's an island here off Perth called Rotness, about 20 k's away. Oh, people cool. swim. People swim there, and uh, we've got the opposite with master swimmers. Um, they they try to get as fast as they can for ocean swimming, um, because there's a belief that the body fat will help them. But yeah, right. there, there is a limit. There is a limitation in the studies. Only a couple of studies, yeah. albeit in elite athletes, and actually shows the opposite so we're we're people yeah yeah people think there's a certain amount of body fat like that's required like it wouldn't be you know those people that are in sort of between 15 to 20 percent probably perform better and the ones that have the higher body fat percentage i'm not talking about bmi here for anybody getting confused with the two because they're two different things yeah the body fat percentage so people think like oh if i have higher body fat it'll keep me warmer yes yeah but the thing is with higher body fat yeah it keeps you warmer but because you've gained so much weight and you gain so much body fat, you're not as cardiovascularly efficient. Yeah. So therefore you take longer. So mm. those people who come down sort of have body fat somewhere between 15 and 20% for men. So when you look at like who finishes like first, second, third, oh. fourth, you start looking at the rankings, there's actually a relationship with body fat percentage. There you go. Opposite of what people think. So a lot of people in master swimmers, and I talk about amateur swimmers here, think like, oh, the fatter I get, the better it's going to be. <laughs> so Liv, we were uh, we had a bit of a technical glitch there, but we we're back on. Um good old federal government this time with MBN. So, uh, <laughs> we won't pick on the state government. On to us. Yeah. <laughs> One of the most prosperous nations in the world and we don't even have proper internet. But anyway, yeah. another story for yep. another day. So Liv, um you've kind of now you know, you've have this um 
jujitsu career as an athlete you've been coaching and uh, we've spoken about your gymnastics background but you've also been recently in the last couple of years appointed to the combat sports commission in victoria where you've been able to bring all that experience together um as a as a female athlete and coach can, can you tell us a little bit about what the, the the role is at the combat sports commission and the kind of remit of what you do yeah so um I've been on the board for about two and a half years now, and I think, um, I don't know if it's a Victoria or a federal thing, but we did have uh, a law that I think was by the end of last year, 40% of government boards had to be female. Um, So I knew, well, I was contacted by the board um, at the end of, I think it was 2017, um, and to be honest, I didn't even know that the board sort of existed. I've, he- I've heard of like the UFC, you know, like Nevada State Athletic Commission and so on, because in Victoria, jiu-jitsu is not, um, it's got an exemption from being a combat sport. So it's just Muay Thai, boxing and uh, MMA. Um, so uh, I guess where my expertise comes in is the more grappling and MMA side of it. We've got uh, some amazing members that are um, more, they have the experience with boxing and Muay Thai, but not so much MMA or grappling component or wrestling. Um, And on top of that, having, um, I don't really have a medical background, but physiotherapy background. So I was kind of just the right fit at the right time. Uh, We have a, yeah, seven-member board and it's uh it's a it's really interesting i i had to learn a lot it was a steep learning curve for me just just obviously i know stuff about mma but muay thai and boxing i've never really watched or been to a show or really took much interest in it um so uh, i guess what the roles are the main roles is to keep the integrity of the sport and to keep um the contestants and everyone else safe in the sport so they're the main uh, jobs we've got apart, uh, you know, al- al- along many others that we have to do. Uh, but it's been, yeah, it's been really great, actually. And um, is there any specific things that you're addressing with that Combat Sports Commission at the moment? I know there's been lots of talk around, you know, weight cutting in combat sports or fighter safety with head trauma, um, you know, either in NFL or in other contact sports. Is there any particular things or topics that you guys are looking at improving at the moment or get even gathering data on? Yeah, it's a little bit harder at the moment because of COVID. We we are actually just fighting pretty hard to be able, you know, to get permission for um, elite athletes to be able to at least do contact. Um, so that kind of takes up majority of the times. But the projects that we have going on uh, at the moment are drug testing in, uh, so introducing drug testing in Victoria um, that, that actually happens, not that, you know, just says we're going to do it. Um, we are, uh, we have an injury register. So we're always, uh, like anytime there's a tiny cut or an injury that goes into the database, so it can be analyzed. Uh, we have had, uh, a lot of talks on concussion and, uh, meetings with the doctors on best protocols, um, after someone is suspected of having a concussion and how to clear them. So that's always an ongoing project. Uh, and then we do have little projects trying to get more, women or or have at least you know more equality and so on with women with combat sports um that's also a tricky one because i guess our job is not to get more people into being a professional fighter because it is actually quite dangerous and not probably the best thing for you so we're not trying to i guess promote more women um 
becoming a pro fighter, but we are um, encouraging women to participate if they feel like they have barriers into doing that. Um, and yeah, we, we're always looking at weight cutting and, and best, uh, best practice or evidence-based practice. And I guess our job is to educate the trainers and the coaches. So we do hold forums. We have promoters forums. We have coaches forums. We have rules forums. Um, and we do always try to communicate the changes or best practice. We have, you know, handouts to give people uh, following the fights. Uh, we have emails, websites, and so on. But it is... <laughs> So, Olivia, with your time on the Combat Sports Commission and um, as a member of the board, looking at combat sports from the other side of the fence, how is your thinking about combat sports changed? You know, coming into it from an athlete perspective, now on the other side, is there anything that you think, any kind of, you know, aha moments or awakenings or enlightenment that you've kind of gathered on that side of the fence? Um, I think the biggest thing uh, is safety for me. Um, I guess like looking at the reports um, on either concussions or career ending, if not, um, you know, life and death sort of injuries um, is a little bit higher than what I thought, um, especially concussions and uh, weight cutting uh, problems as well and people being severely, you know, in hospital or, or even dead from weight cuts going wrong. Um, and definitely even sparring incidents. Um, I guess like it's just not reported in the uh, media as much as or I never really read about it. So um, definitely the importance of having like a board that oversees matchups and making sure that you're not fighting outside of your experience level. Yeah. Um, and, and on top of that, knowing, like really knowing what you're signing up to, you know, the, there's a limit to how much red tape we can put on people. We do have the power as the board to um, not allow someone to fight if they've had too many losses in a row. And we kind of recommend that they have six months off to improve a skill just so they stay safe and, and that we protect integrity of the sport as well. Uh, but if someone really wants to keep fighting and they're aware of the dangers and they might be in their 40s and they're still getting, you know, hit in the head a lot um, and they're having concussions but they still want to do it and they're aware of the dangers, I guess that's the million-dollar questions, you know, do, do we allow them to do it or do we step in and say no? So um, for me, I guess, like, uh, I'm more happy than ever doing jiu-jitsu and not going into MMA. I think if I was maybe 20, I would be more inclined to go into MMA and UFC. And um, and I think there's just no need with jiu-jitsu. You can make good money out of jiu-jitsu now. Uh, but, yeah, I think uh, it definitely it is all combat sports, I think, are wonderful. And I think it does help so many people. The community is absolutely amazing um, in, in all three sports. Um, and it does help so many people to live a better life. Uh, and I think it's so important that combat sports uh, happen. Uh, but I think you do also have to be aware of that you can do things better. There's better ways of cutting weight so you don't get hurt. There's better ways of preserving your body and not um, sparring when you've had a concussion or when you've had injuries because it can affect your life 
later on, you know, and, and we're fighting for most people in Australia are not fighting for a lot of money. It's not until you're good in UFC or some other promotions and, you know, you've got a title fight that you can make a good living out of it. So I think just um, remembering that you only have one brain and one body and, and you're stuck with that for the rest of your life. And I think most martial artists that I speak to really want to keep doing it for a very long time. You don't want to aim to retire and stop completely at the age of 35. You know, it's such a wonderful thing to do in your life. And I think if you're just a bit more conservative or really listen to your and trust your coaches in your corner and make sure they're not pushing you into something that you're not ready for, I think that's really important. Yeah, which kind of comes back to what we were speaking about earlier on, about kind of choosing your own adventure within a, in a combat sport, whether you want to be elite, you want to yeah. you know just um have a bit of fun whatever it might be you know you can uh, you can choose that <clears throat> you know because some people like my goal is to keep exercising until the day i die you know that's yeah. my goal is to be able to do jujitsu swim run move until uh, until i die at the right ball age of 43 um oh wait no that's next year i mean <laughs> still, you're still young <laughs> i don't want to die at 43 i'm just joking <laughs> yeah, don't die uh, if that's i die brilliant. if if i die at 43 people are like wow he foresaw his death um, <laughs> <laughs> um so <laughs> so yeah so olivia um now with the sort of this period of reflection with the lockdown and and you know focusing on um like you say technique and videos and kind of take, mm-hmm. being forced to take that break what's your goals once this uh this lockdown that we all support uh is over <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> god um i've got a few goals i mean i i've been saying it for years like literally for the last five years i've i've been saying that i don't have many years left at the highest <laughs> level and i'm not sure if that's true or not but look uh, i definitely do want to have a family at some stage so that's obviously going to change um, the way I train and the way I compete and where and how I compete if I want to compete as well. Yeah. Um, so that's going to, I guess, play a major part whenever that happens. Uh, but I do, I would love to have another go at ADCC still um, and actually have a good performance that, that reflects my skill level and not just get um, choked from the back in the first minute or <laughs> however long it took me. Um, and I do also, I, I still really enjoy competing in the gi. And one of my big goals has been to win a medal at Gi Worlds. That's um, probably one of the big things I haven't managed to do. Um, so I would like to have more goes. But I guess um, I've really been enjoying, I feel like I've really, really, really improved in this quarantine time. Uh, obviously, I'm just testing myself really against Lockie, so it's hard to tell. But just having really focused training um, and um really concentrating not on just like rolling without a purpose but actually developing my skill set with that the pressure of always prepping for the next comp i think has been really beneficial i feel like my body's a little bit more recovered i'm um definitely getting more nutrients and i'm sleeping more and i'm you know because i'm not able i can't train as much and i think it's made me realize that you don't need to train as much to improve so maybe my longevity (laughs) will be a little bit better than i thought uh before but look apart from that i really just um i want to have my gym open and develop my team and and like really excited to see where my teammates go and how far they can develop as well like that is so exciting and it's so rewarding to see um your team do well you know not just your own performance um and obviously i'm stoked to see and like if lucky 
has a better performance in his weight class at the next ADCC because I think he's definitely capable of, of taking it out. So that would be really cool to see as well. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Well, Olivia, thanks very much for your time today. Apologies to those people listening today with the uh, audio. Um, not really sure what's happening. You can uh, probably email. the Victorian government. You can yeah. follow Scott Morrison and his cabinet for updates at the <laughs> NBN and updates there, or your local state government. Um, so <laughs> I'm not sure what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> Two weeks ago, I was it was flying here but now we have we have some issues but anyway that's all good uh, normally i would have done this in if i was in melbourne for work i would have recorded this live with livia but obviously with the lockdown no one's going yeah. near there so yeah look listen uh, thanks very much for your time livia if people want to follow you on social media want to get in contact want to book in 25 privates for when lockdown's finished how do they get a hold of you <laughs> yeah so uh you can find me on instagram uh, it's livia i think it's underscore giles yeah. Um, and on Facebook, it's just Livia Giles. Um, I do have a blog, but I haven't written in it for, for a year or so, so <laughs> don't worry about that. Uh, and just keep up, um, keep an eye on the Absolutes and Kilda YouTube channel. Lockie and I, well, mainly Lockie, but we are putting out some techniques and some things we kind of have been working on during quarantine as well. Um, so that's that's exciting. So that's Absolutes and Kilda. Yes. Yeah. And there's loads of free content. Um, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I, and I know there's loads of free content, not because I watch it, but because when I ask my wife a question, she's normally <laughs> well, has one headphone in listening to it and goes, hold on till I stop this. Oh, that's and like, awesome. <laughs> and I said to her a few weeks ago, you spend more time looking at Lachlan Giles than you do at me. So <laughs> you should just move to Melbourne. And she just said, yeah. Well, yeah. So, um, yeah, she's a, she's a fan of the content. She likes it. And she comes home sometimes from jiu-jitsu and goes, that thing that I watched Lachlan do the other day works. Or, you know, um, so I think it's great that you guys are pumping out lots of free content. So you don't have to subscribe and pay lots of money. It's awesome yeah. what you're doing there. And I think then, you know, if people can afford to go and uh, buy some of the content that you guys are producing, you should do it to support all this other free content. So it's, um, it's worth yeah, here in our household anyway. <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, we, yeah, I think Lockie's a, a really good methodical teacher. So it certainly helped me a lot. Um, if, you know, the, the guard retention instruction we recently filmed has like just filming it for me has changed my game completely. And I, my guard feels so much better. So that's, that's a really good product that's out at the moment. <laughs> that's great. All right, Olivia, have a great day and uh, enjoy the rest of lockdown. I'm sure you've got lots to do. <laughs> I can't wait for the rest of it. It's the best fun ever. <laughs> but thank you so much for having me on. Um, it's been really great to catch up. Good stuff. <laughs>